Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
All right. Good morning, beautiful people. Thank you for joining me here on Prison Focus Radio. I am your host, Nube Brown, and I am I'm feeling pretty good today. And the reason I feel good, even when I am sad or things are difficult or I'm tired, is because really of the people. Uh, it's all of you, for all of you that tune in, um, ask others to tune in. Uh, even if you don't tune in, but you wish to, or you could have, or you whatever it is, I appreciate you. Because it's really because of all of you and all of the work that so many people are putting in. The work on, from on this side of the wall and the other side of the wall. As Asada Shakur says, a wall is just a wall that can be broken down. And it is broken down by our shared humanity. I see it every day. It is beautiful. We are experiencing um, a lot of pain around the... Uh, the, the murder of our uh, Asian brothers and sisters. And I just want you to know from one culturally rich person, I just, I stand in solidarity with my culturally rich brothers and sisters. And when we dig down deep inside, we all do. We have an amazing opportunity to come together uh, again, in shared humanity, loving one another, caring about one another, understanding that our pain is your pain, your pain is our pain. And it's about family, it's about people, it's about recognizing that this system that we are in, this white pathology, capitalist, imperialist, materialistic militaristic system that we are in is about extraction and trying to condense us down to our lowest common denominator. Don't let it happen. Know your own beauty and power and revolutionary love of the people, for the people, by the people. This is about all of us. We stand in solidarity together against anything that harms us. So we're going to get started today. Uh, we're going to be listening to some voices of, uh, we're going to hear some transgender uh, women share their stories um, from inside men's prisons. Why are transgender women in male prisons? Uh, we should be asking ourselves about that, but I am an abolitionist and understand that um, I will continue to expose the uh, continued crime against humanity that takes place within our prisons. Uh, this is through the lens of the exception clause to the 13th Amendment that says if you are convicted of a crime, you become a slave of the state. And as you can see, every aspect of our lives are continually being criminalized. We are going to be doing better out here, people. Right? That is what we are about. And this is what continues to bring me hope. It's the power and love of the people. Um, and nothing will change um, until we demand the change. We have to look to each other. We have to trust each other. We have to rely on each other. We have to believe in one another. And we have to do the hard work with one another. 
You got to love when it's hard to love. And I, I, I don't know what else to say. Um, but here in this space on Prison Focus Radio, um, I feel the love. I know I am with my people. So I want to thank you again for being here this morning. And um, we're going to get ready. We're going to uh, start with the show. And I think we're going to go ahead and uh, start with, yes, the transgender women share their stories from behind um, the walls of men's prisons. Here we go. California State Men's Prison, Vacaville, 2,500 prisoners. Why must I be discouraged? And why must the shadows come? And why must my heart be lonely when it I began taking hormones at the age of 16. I've always had my mom and my father's approval of being trans woman, so I've never had to fight with them on those issues. It was just always about getting my life together and make, stop making so many careless mistakes like this, ending up in prison, if you know what I mean. <laughs> About 24 transgender women live in this men's prison. Labeled male at birth, they identify as female. Four out of every five transgenders that are attacked are African-American transgenders. Uh, I was born Robert Brennan Foster. You know, since I was a child, I felt like I was a girl. And despite knowing myself, the world told me different. And if I wanted to avoid problems, I had to give the world what it wanted to see. And the world wanted to see a boy. This is Yekaterina Wesa, Patience. And when you're faced with getting put in the hospital, getting your ribs broke, getting your face caved in, getting put through walls, you're going to pretty much conform. My father literally would beat me sometimes every day just to get me to act like a boy, to toughen me up. We as trans women are very challenged on a daily basis here, especially in this environment. A lot of the programs here are designed for male inmates because this is still a male institution. We have to fight constantly to gain ground. Right now what you're going to do is get your heart rate up, okay? Keep pedaling and let's try and find your heart rate. Well, I fought endlessly to get the gym program up and running. It took a long journey. It was a long fight. But I was able to work with uh, staff on talking to the right people to get it done, to be able to let our hair down and wear our makeup and our gym shorts and our tennis shoes, and to be able to shoot poop and do exercise programs so that we can have our own safe environment to be able to be who we are. Give that me too. Hi, I'm Kat. I've had a pretty decent week. Uh, I had one little incident that, that kind of perturbed me a little yesterday. Now, I don't think I can ever really say I feel safe in prison. And in my first prison, I got raped. And I immediately cut all my hair off, uh, grew facial hair. So we were showering yesterday, and uh, someone thought it was appropriate to come to the shower and start talking to us about uh, different things while we were at the shower, staff member. Somebody sort of called me out of the shower to come over to the door to talk to him. 
Did you invite them in? No. For me, with each prison, I just became more um, aggressive, more uh, masculine, and more uh, more brash, more rude. No, I got into more problems than I needed, but it kept me from having to worry about getting raped. Transgender people are 13 times more likely to be sexually assaulted in prison. It was a, it was like living a role as an actor. It was like a gut check. Every day I stepped out the cell, I had to make sure I had my, my attire right. You know, I had the right walk, the right approach, the right timbre in my voice. So I had to act like the toughest person I could find. And after a while, I just couldn't do it anymore. I kind of started having a little mental breakdown. I just couldn't. Couldn't put that image on no more. It was too painful. I'm glad to see all my sisters here today. Um, I'm glad to be here today. I'm glad that all of y'all showed up today to come to the group, to be supportive. I love to see us in unity. We're better in numbers. I always say that. And the other thing, uh, hopefully everybody uh, received their applications for their transgender identification, of course. Uh, this is Jazzy Paradise Scott. I see Ms. Henderson got hers today. They will have your name on there and what you identify as, female, she, her. They still feel that we are men because I had an officer that tell me, well, you're still in the man's prison, so you're a man. So I had to write him up. On the, on the good side, when I went to the board, the board addressed me as a she and it was in my transcripts. I was a she. I was like, wow, that's kind of... Interesting, because I didn't think that was going to happen. If you're going to have something implemented, do it across the board and actually train them to do it. And if they it's don't, it's frustrating. Institutionally, it's like trying to move a boulder. They're they're very much used to doing what they, you know, have processing things the way they do it. Says Ava Marie Fay. Uh, so change doesn't come easy here. In 2015, California state prisons settled a lawsuit by agreeing to provide sex reassignment surgery and makeup and gender-affirming apparel. The sentence in coming to state prison, that's the punishment, right? There shouldn't be an additional punishment. You shouldn't be required to, to identify a different way simply because you committed a crime and you've been given a sentence. That's Amy Miller, the associate director of CDC Small R. You know, we're so accustomed to being a binary system. And what we recognize now is because we have this very diverse population, we also have to make some accommodations. I'm Rachel. I was sitting in my cell with just my bra on, my shorts, see, facing the wall. That same AW came in and read me the riot act, told me- Being a transgender person, even in the, in the community, can be difficult, and so, we are having the same conversation in the prison setting. When I'm at my bed area, that's my area, and I can dress as I feel. You're in a dorm setting? Yes, Ms. Rachel? Okay, in a dorm setting, we as transgender women should dress accordingly. We are wearing bras, panties. We must have our nightgowns on. I mean, you know, as a woman, yes. you should want to be covered. covered. I mean, for me, <laughs> I, I, you know, I keep my mumu on. Exactly. I mean, I don't care how hot it is, they big enough, they blowy at all times. Yeah. You know? 
California lawmakers are considering a policy to allow prisoners to be housed according to their gender identity. If you don't learn to pick up a weapon and fight right along with the dudes and die with them, then they're not going to accept you. And if you get cut, you just get cut. What do you do? I know some girls are going to want to stay here because they, they want to be around the men. But if you identify as a female, then I think you should be housed around females, and I think that will eliminate a lot of the problems of being sexually uh, assaulted, of being raped, pressured. Do you want to go to a woman's prison? Well, hell yeah. Sex based assignment surgery, I'd love to go over to the female uh, institution instead of this. I would like it because I love men. I'd rather be right here with a bunch of men <laughs> instead of with a bunch of women. You know what I mean? So that's it. Okay. okay. I just wanted to share with y'all, I also submitted paperwork in for more items to be placed in the canteen for y'all. Um, various uh, foundations and makeups will be added to what we already have. This is the first prison I've ever been to that actually had a transgender community. It was actually probably the biggest load I've ever taken off my shoulders when I just stopped saying I was going to be, you know, what everybody else wanted me to be and just be myself. I just wake up like that. <laughs> We're picking up the pieces of our life. What are we going to do when we leave here? We want to be protective people in society, so we have to start with ourselves, building ourselves back up. But I tell them constantly that you're beautiful. You're a better person. You can be anything you want to be. You know, things that their parents should have been telling them. This one is from my eyes, the volumizing. And I love my pinks. My mascara, and I cover up my gray with it. <laughs> this is a little bit on the side, a little bit on the side, you know. Our goal is to make it normal. It's, of course, a lot of work because there's a lot of policies that have to be changed that have been set for a very long time, but I think we're getting there. There was a time when being transgender in prison, it was pretty hopeless. It was dark. Perhaps I will never fully ever get there, but I am content with who I am. And I feel like, you know, I feel like I can go on. I can keep going. I can press on. That was Carrie Clay Smith. She's an elder. Now I'm becoming more and more of me. And the more I am, the less angry I am. <coughs> the more able I am to just kind of love myself and be gentle to other people. Amazing grace, amazing grace will always be my song of praise. <laughs> you can watch this on YouTube the name of this clip is Transgender Women Share Stories from a Men's Prison. This was created by KQED's Truly California. And before we move on to the next thing I'd like to share with you, of course, um, again, I'm an abolitionist. I am not into normalizing what's taking place within prisons. But one of the things that I noticed is that, and I'm sure you all did too, even just by listening to this, um, visually, I do recommend y'all uh, watch because you can see the smiles and the you know just real show of love and um, and unity between um, 
the transgender women there. But I noticed that when people get their needs met, it it's much more healing. It helps for people to be um, more of who they are. Uh, we, we're stronger when we get our needs met, when we get our basic human needs met, when we have an opportunity to be cared for and believed in um, and, and to do it with others, you can really see how people thrive. And that's what we want out here. We want we want for people's lives to be to be nurtured and taken care of out here so that they don't become vulnerable to the carceral system. All right, so in my travels, um, searching for women's voices inside and outside of prison, I discovered Voice of Witness, Amplifying Unheard Voices. They're promoting um, a book um, called Inside This Place, Not Of It, Narratives from Women's Prisons. And this is... Uh, from the archives, they are um, celebrating 2019 marks 10 years of for Voice of Witness as a nonprofit. And in celebration of this exciting milestone, we're resurfacing powerful stories from every oral history book in our series. Though time has passed since these stories were first published, many of the themes and issues they address are as relevant and important as ever. Unfortunately, they are still relevant because not a lot have changed. Um, not a lot has changed. In our prisons, things are actually, unfortunately, I believe, in some respects, well, I don't know that they're getting worse. I think, um, you know, as we are, the, the crumbling and uh, collapsing of capitalism, um, I think it just looks particularly ugly. But nonetheless, uh, they're promoting this book inside this place, not of it. And today, women are the fastest growing segment of the prison population and the most vulnerable. The overwhelming majority... Over 90% of women in prison have suffered sexual and or domestic abuse and have lived in extreme poverty. In 2004, more than 90% of imprisoned women reported annual incomes of less than $10,000 and most hadn't completed high school. That is an indictment on the system. Do not fool yourselves into believing that this is the failure of people. This is the failure of a system that is failing its people. That is why we must turn to each other and lift and care for, uplift each other, care for each other, and um, just help each other to uh, get back on track. Because the system... This capitalist system, this racist, white pathological system is, um, is on a, just an all-out assault on all of our, on our ability to live full, healthy lives. And this, it is a crime against us. This is a major human rights crisis that we are in. So again, all of those numbers that you just heard, that is an indictment on the system, a failure of this system that puts profits over people. 
Inside this place, not of it, narratives from women's prisons reveal some of the most egregious human rights violations within women's prisons in the United States. In their own words, the 13 narrators recount their lives leading up to the incarceration, up to incarceration and their experiences inside, ranging, ranging from forced sterilization and shackling during childbirth to physical and sexual abuse by prison staff. Together, their testimonies illustrate the harrowing struggles for survival that women in prison must endure. Again, this is an indictment on this prison system. How is it that women are being forced into sterilization? They are being shackled during childbirth. They are having to endure physical and sexual abuse by the prison staff. This is an indictment on the system, not the people who are victims of it. This is not what should be happening to people that we say are supposed to be accountable for some crime that they've committed. Especially since many of these crimes, quote crimes, are, are just trying, are, are people trying to survive and being criminalized for it. So we are going to hear Irma's story. Irma Rodriguez's story comes out of this book. Irma has spent much of her life in and out of prison, mostly on drug-related offenses. During that time, she went through several rounds of rehab for her drug abuse, and at the time of her interview, had been clean for over three years. In 1990, while in prison, Irma was misdiagnosed with HIV, and for the next 17 years was treated with extremely toxic drugs that were contraindicated for her other illnesses. She spoke to us of the discrimination she experienced as an HIV patient, the effects of the HIV medication on her health, and the prison's refusal, refusal to accept responsibility for her misdiagnosis. That is medical neglect. That is medical abuse. That is medical violence. You can get accustomed to the loss of dignity. This is Irma. The first time I was sent to prison, I was 18. I was convicted of possession, transportation, and sale of PCP. I had large quantities, apple juice bottles of that stuff. My first trip to prison was for six years, and I've been pretty much in and out since then. Now, in my mid-40s, now I'm in my mid-40s. In the first institution, I was taken under the wing of lifers who knew I was a baby and couldn't take care of myself. A lot of them played mom, and a lot of them played sister. And they taught me the morals and principles of how to carry yourself and the do's and don'ts of surviving in prison. I learned that you have to carry yourself right, carry yourself with respect. It's hard to explain how degrading prison is to someone who's never experienced it. You are told when to wake up, when you can bathe, when you can brush your teeth. You stand for 20 minutes waiting for a door to open just so you can walk in a line and go eat. You're given three minutes to shovel down your food and then you're right back in that line, waiting for the door to open up again so you can go put your stuff away. Through all this, you have constant yelling over an intercom. There's a lot of heartache, a lot of crime, and a lot of violence and chaos. Crammed into a building with 200 women, you've got 200 different kinds of cultural backgrounds, ethics, beliefs, attitudes, and emotions. You've got 200 different ways of processing emotions. There are some women who can't read, some who weren't even taught how to shower. They come in here and they are stripped of their dignity. They can't even go to the bathroom without male staff watching 
You can go so you can get so accustomed to the loss of dignity that your standards just disappear. But some women come in who have never even taken off their clothes in front of their own husbands. They get so upset and so embarrassed they cry. What makes me the saddest is that I find myself hardening up, saying things to them like, what are you crying about? I have to remind myself to have compassion. Just because I'm used to it doesn't mean someone else is. It's so sad to see women coming here who really don't know how to deal with prison. They've never been out of their homes. They're in here for ridiculous stuff, making bad decisions, helping someone out. They were just so naive and gullible that another person was able to reel them in. And they're incarcerated with people who've committed murder. It's like one pit. Everyone's thrown in one pit. You're constantly living on the edge. It's two o'clock in the morning. How did this door get open? Even now, when things are supposed to be better, COs routinely come into our rooms and take our things. A lot of us have arts and crafts supplies to make cards with, like cardstock and markers. We might also have books or other small things. Routinely, the seals will come with their gloves and bags, and they take everything. You've got three blankets? Trust me, they'll take them away. You have a homemade pillow sewn up? They'll take that. You're constantly living on the edge. Sorry, you're constantly living on edge. Sometimes, I feel like they set some women up. They know who's going to blow her stack about having her things taken, and they purposely target her just so that she will lose it and they can bust her. So I want to say for any and all of you that are doing work to see, think, and feel differently about people that are being mass incarcerated, mass caged, made vulnerable and victimized by this system. I salute you. You're courageous, loving people. Keep up the good work um, and know that we are better for it. We are all better for it. And um, try to bring in others as well. We're going to take a musical break. Now that she's back in the atmosphere with drops of Jupiter in her head. She acts like summer and walks like rain.
All right, beautiful listeners. Um, if you have been with me with you know for the past couple of weeks, you will you will have heard that there has been a focus on Cameo House, this beautiful, beautiful program that um, exists to provide a home and healing space for um, women at, that are um, uh, being affected by the um, the carceral system and um, giving them a way to to heal and build back their lives with their children. This is the most significant part. So a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Rebecca Jackson, uh, the program director, and Melody uh, Fantilla, who is a board member of CJCJ. They were talking about Cameo House. And today, we have the extra special privilege, honor to have Ramona and Daisy with us this morning to tell us about what Cameo House means to them. Okay, good morning, or in this case, it is afternoon. Folks know that this is a pre-recorded show. Um, Ramona, I'm going to go ahead and get started with you. Just please let us know who you are and what Cameo House means to you. Okay. Uh, Well, my name is Ramona. I'm from San Francisco. I'm 36 years old. I've been in San Francisco my whole life. Um, Cameo House was a a safe place. It was a safe place for me. It was a safe place for me to have all three of my children um, with me um, because there is no other program that would allow me to have my children at their ages that they were at and to be able to stay with me um, while I was... uh, at Cameo House, because I, I went to Cameo House for uh, alternative infancy, and it gave me, um, actually, it gave me a chance to, because uh, I didn't have to serve some time, but instead of serving time in prison, I was able to serve that time at Cameo House, which is, uh, it's not just a program, but it's alternative sentencing, and so that was like everything that I needed when I was, when I was being uh, offered all of these different deals when I was incarcerated, and the fact that I could have my children with me, that's what I needed, because I was never away from my children. And so that was, like, the most important thing. And, you know, the day I got there, they went and picked up my kids for me. My youngest daughter, actually, uh, one of the one of the ladies that they came to pick her up, she said, I, I love Maura. She, she came and brought me to my mommy, and that was one of the best things I heard in a long time. What did that mean for you to be able to be given this alternative and how you were able to do that with your children? What did that look like? Like maybe, a, um, like what does a day well, look like for you, if you want to share that? So, it, you know, it, it has its own challenges just mm-hmm. because, you know, we're all grown-ups and we're in a, a home. First of all, we're in a, you know, we're in a place that we have to, you know, follow rules. You know, it has its ups and downs, but... Um, it's, it, if you want it, it'll work. And that's like the, the best thing I think. And that's, that's what I could tell people too. Like when, even with the other girls that would be there, like, you know, there's, there's girls that have other challenges and, you know, you try to talk to them, you get close to them and you, you know, you try to explain to them, like, look, this is a chance for you not to go to prison. This is a chance for you not to go back to jail. This is, you know, a, a place for you to try to get reunited with your kids or just, not have, you know, just get, get a chance to leave your bad habits behind. You can leave them there. So, and it was, I mean, some of the, you know, some of the challenges were the fact that, you know, I was 
I'm a grown adult. I don't have other adults telling me what I have, what I can and can't do. You know, it's, it's different. Absolutely. But you have to just go with it, and you you could be successful because Cameo House actually, if you follow, not even necessarily follow by the rules, but if you do what you have to do for yourself, they got your back 100%. Like, I've been out of Cameo House for over a year now, and I still, I told them I hang out with them more now than I did before. <laughs> Uh, so because, uh, you know, yeah. when I moved, Rebecca helped me get furniture. They helped me with, like, some moving costs and things like that. You know, and it's just because I I did the work. I did the work, and therefore I got rewarded after. Right, right. And do you think it you would know? have had And that... I wouldn't have had that. I would not have had that. I would have served um, at least seven years in prison if I didn't have that. The, the alternative would have been without your children and you really wouldn't have been given the opportunity to heal and build. And you got to be able to do that. The setting that allowed you to do yeah. that and with your children. That is just so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Daisy, um, I basically have the same question for you and I'm understanding that you are still in the program. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And I love it. Um, so like my story Oh, you're breaking out a, a, a little bit, Daisy. Can we start that over a little bit? I didn't hear that beginning. Uh, I, uh, I was indicted federally a little over three years ago. Okay. And uh, and went off to a residential program. Indicted, my daughter was taken from me, CPS. So, um moved um they gave her to her dad and her dad continued to use and then what happened was cps took her from him so then my daughter was the foster care and um that wanted me to finish but at the end of that pro the next step was like try to get my computer back even while fighting these charges and so it was slim and let me tell you there was nobody the daughter was when I got her back, there was maybe one other program that would have took me with the kid, but the cutoff age was like two and a half. Oh. So then, like, what happened to my kid after that? My kid's already two, you know? Right. So I was smoking a cigarette in the back of my program, and there was this girl, and she mentioned Cameo House. She goes, you know, and she's from the city. She's like, I know that program. I know a lot of girls that have been there. It really worked for them. And I was like, Cameo. So I looked it up. And I had my sponsor um, contact Rebecca, and, like, right away, they, like, brought me in for um, for an interview. And what I loved was that they were so flexible, you know, like, with the verbiage, whatever. Very much it was, like, whatever you need to get the baby here, we'll get the baby here. Hmm. And, like, I was, I was, that, that was, that was, that was it for me, you know, like, because I needed my baby, my baby doesn't have nobody else. She only has me. That's it, you know? So when, um, like, we went through all these hurdles, they were, like, always there for my CPS worker. Like, she had to come and check out the house. My CPS worker loved it. There's people here 24 hours a day. So, like, anytime, like, when I would have my kid here for visits and, like, you know, I've been doing drugs since I was 12. You know, I've been clean out for three years. But, Congratulations. Um, I didn't know how to parent, you know? So I would freak Thank you. Thank you. Um, I didn't know how to parent and it was like really hard. So like, it didn't matter what time of night it was. If I was like having a hard time with my baby, I could go downstairs and be like, Hey guys, you know, like this is what's happening. Can you help me out? And everybody was always real quick to help, you know, like this is like a home. This is my, my daughter loves this. This is her home, you know? And, um, eventually we went through all the hurdles and everything and we got the baby back. 
today I have full physical and legal custody of my daughter. And um, the people here, they're not staff. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're staff, but they're like our family. Like, anytime I need anything at all, like, they're there. And, like, this whole situation is really screwed up because, um, like, I think the little people are really important. You know, here we are in the city. I never knew anything about San Francisco until I was brought over here, you know, by the feds. And there's, like, so much opportunity here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But when it comes to, like, places to live when you're in recovery, it's like, you got to be single. You can't have kids. You this and that. Like, what about the little people, dude? You know, because in recovery, like, you could be in recovery for a long time, and it still takes you a while to be to that point where you can, like, parent, you know? Right. And, like, and that's great for the kids, too. It's, like, less broken people, you know? So, like, um, so what happens when they take something like this away? What happens to them? You know what I mean? So we just close the door on, like, these little people that need to be, like, feeling safe. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they need more spaces like this. This is a place that knows their stuff. And it's been there here for a really, really long time, a place where I feel safe, where my son Alex, who's older, he still gets to come visit. He loves it here. Mm. And um, it's just such a good place. It's like, it's home, you know, there's recovery here, there's parenting here, there's just so many different sides to everything, but we're all a family. We're all really close. And like, just the way that they handle things here, I love how it's not, it's like very case by case. Like, they already know I'm in that job and I freak out about everything. They know this. (laughs) They know me so well. <laughs> and so, like, and it's just goes case by case. They, like, they put up with me, like, on so many levels. And, you know, it's, um, I feel like, um, like, just taking a place like this away, like, what does that say, like, just about, like, San Francisco, about, like, everything, like, as a whole? Like, I mean, do we care about the little kids? Like, come on, you know, we need to protect the little people. And I haven't even told my daughter what's going on because she would freak out. Mm-hmm. But, like, um, but yeah, today, you know, I'm still going to court. Um, I'm coming up for sentencing on Thursday, and Cameo has been a key piece in me being able to make it to this point. You know, like, um, I used to be, like, heavily medicated for, like, anxiety and depression. I'm not on medication anymore. And towards the end of the sentencing, like, as sentencing approaches, like, it's been getting harder and harder. And guess what? Cameo's right there. I'm in that office three, four hours at a time, just, like, rocking in my chair. I've had Aurora hold me for crying out loud, like a baby at one point, because it's so overwhelming to think about the possibility of me going away from my daughter, you know, after three years, you know, but but they're there. They're there. And I know that if I have to go away or wherever life may take me, I know I can call Rebecca any day, any day, whatever, whatever, you know, and she's going to be there. And I think that's, like, the kinds of bonds that are like super important that we build, you know what I mean? And you only, I think they've gotten this good just because of how long they've been around because of like the people that are like selected to be here, like to work here. It's just such a good combination of people. And like the way they get down is like so real. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, I can't tell you right now, like I can't think of the words to explain to you in a way that would be accurate. Like how much this place means to me. You know what I mean? Because there isn't any. Like, um, I remember moving my kids stuff here. You know what I mean? And, like, when they helped me and, like, the day that I got here, it's just everything. And just I love how it's small. It doesn't house, like, a million people. I came from a program that housed 150 people. Mm-hmm. So there's no personal nothing, you know? Right. And this is, like, it's a little family, you know? And it's very, very personal. 
very, um, they adjust to each person's need, to each child's need. They know Floopy so well. You know, like, Floopy <laughs> runs this place, like, this, this is her house. You know what I mean? Like, her, her pictures are on the wall. Like, her picture is on her desk. Like, well... Oh, are you still there? I think we may have lost you. We only have got a couple minutes, but I, I, I want to say there's a lot of congratulations on both sides, both for um, Daisy and Ramona. And so I definitely want to put that in there. And that's so beautiful. And I, we're, and we're rooting for you for, for Thursday. Um, I, from both of you, Ramona and Daisy, I'm just really hearing how personal, how much community, really that, that phrase, um, you know, the African phrase, it takes, a, um, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to raise each other. We have to be in community in order, you know, to let people be who they are and heal in their own way. Rebecca, you talked about this so eloquently um, when we spoke. Um, I wanted... Um, Give you, Rebecca, I want to give you the last word. We've got just a couple of minutes here, and I want to make sure that I don't have to cut anything out. So, um, sure. please. I think that I will just add, Nube, that both Ramona and Daisy have very deep and very complicated histories and stories, and they are both women who have triumphed through their struggles both Ramona and Daisy are very deep and complex women that have overcome so many challenges. And I think at the heart of them being able to heal and move forward in their lives was the fact that they were able to do that with their children by their side and in the supportive environment um, where they can felt, you know, feel loved and cared about and respected. And I just hope that that's how all the clients, uh, old, current, and hopefully those that need to come in the future uh, will feel. Uh, I think it's extremely important that there's a place where women uh, can be seen, heard, and um, get what they need to, to be able to, to move on. Um, and I'm just really proud of both of them. I'm sorry that we didn't have more time so that you can really truly understand who they are, but they both like work and go to college and have cars and are having babies and have their own homes. And they really, really, really have a lot of success. Hmm. Well, that seems to be the beauty of Cameo House. And I, as I always say, this never has to be the... Um, the last conversation, um, Ramona and Daisy, I want to thank you so much for being here and know that there is more space for um, both of you. Um, if you feel like you have more to say which uh, that you would like to share, let's make sure we do that. Thank you, Nube. All right. Uh, Ramona, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm, it's just, I'm at work right now. So no problem. <laughs> See, this I is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about, right? These sisters are doing yes. their thing. You know, like you said, yes. overcome. So congratulations. We are so happy to be interrupted by you being at work. And thank you for giving us your time, Ramona. Of course. Thank you. I would, I would, oh, yes. I'm happy I can. I wish I could tell you more about it. 
Uh, I did want to just add, add one last thing. Like what Daisy said, it is a community. It mm-hmm. definitely is a community because I'm not in Cameo House, and a lot of other girls that have came and left, regardless of how they left, even if it was, you know, they they ran away left. There's still that there's still that that respect that Rebecca and the other staff have for them that they still want to help. They still try to reach out. They're still concerned about the women. It's Cameo House and the staff that are there. That that is a community within itself. That is a very strong. And the women have gone through similar similar steps that we have, similar paths. That we have, and I just had to add that because these are women that we could look at that understand. It's not women that have gone to you know school and now they're trying to understand our lives. Yeah, the women that walk in our footsteps. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I had to just say that part. No, thank you. Are you kidding? Thank you so much for that, Ramona. That. That's a beautiful, beautiful aspect of that. I love that. And it, uh, that's why we must keep Cameo House going. Newbie. Yes, Daisy, go ahead. Um, I, well, here I go. I'm like, um, I mean, the one more thing that I want to add is, like, um, how they, like, always push us to do better and, like, our fear better selves here. You know, like, when I came here, there's no way that I thought that I could have done school. And I'm going to roll full-time and maintain a 4.0 the whole two years that I've been in college. <laughs> Ooh, you two are amazing. While I had homework, you know, Demetri or whoever was down there, it's, they're going to watch the baby so I could do my homework, and I trust them with my baby. I'm so proud of them. That's Daisy's a full-time uh, 4.0 student at City cool. College, works her ass off, is an excellent mom, is taking care of her mom who is terminally sick. Wow. You know, Ramona's over here. She has four children. Awesome. She's working with Abysmal Community Services, housing the homeless. Oh, my God. I'm so yeah. proud of that. My, our girl, our person, you know, our, yes. our person left and is given back to the community of San Francisco. I, I mean, we could just go on and on, but these girls are, are awesome. Well, the beauty is here, and I hope people really see this, is that you're, they're better for having gone through Cameo House. And we understand that people that go through the prison system or the jail system are often worse when they come out. So, And we don't have anything lost here. We have something gained. Our children, um, Daisy, Ramona, I just congratulations to both of you. This is just so, so beautiful. And like we said... Your children you. are going to are being raised in our community. They will be healthy and happy, and um, you know, dream filled children. And that is so much yep. of what we need. So thank you, thank you so much, all of you. Um, New babe, just you're great. I, you are Ramona, also. So, I'm so thank inspired. You. <laughs> thank you for showing up. New yes, babe, just letting you know these both these women. As soon as the word came around that this probation was doing this thing, they were both like. Ramona drove over with her baby and was like, tell me what we need to do. Like, you, know, <laughs> you know, and Daisy was like downstairs like, you know, this bullshit, like, you know, who do, you, who do we need to call? What do mm-hmm. we need to do? You know, yes, so yes. we want to say thank you because these women wanted to contribute because they believe in Cameo and you made a little space for them to be able to, to say their piece. So thank you, Nupe. Of course, of course. So, and also, should we still have people go to the website, the cjcj.org? Um, you have a campaign yes. still going there, that's correct? 
That's right. Okay. That's right. It all gets updated all the time. Okay. We're on the ground trying to um, save this save this program every day, meeting with supervisors and, you know, Good. Trying to make Let's it go to City Hall. Let's go to City Hall. Yes, right. We, it sounds like we need to make, possibly um, get a rally going. We'll look at that. And also, I'm encouraging people to call uh, the mayor because, um, and I, I yeah. hope that that's okay because it seems to oh, me yeah. that the mayor needs to know that a program like this exists and not only that it, it should continue to exist. But this is really what we need. I mean, these are the kinds of, this is where we need our uh, resources going to programs like this that really serve the whole being, right? We are talking about this is, this is a human rights issue. This is a matter of our community members, our women, and our children, and our families. So uh, London Breed needs to know and be made aware of Cameo House, for sure. Yes, ma'am. She sure right. does. All right, beautiful sisters, thank you so much for, um, for giving me this time. This is so beautiful. Um, just so much um, right love and, and, uh, and power here, really. Thank you thank so much. Thank you, New Bay. All right, beautiful people, that is our show. But I've got three action items for you to please take away. All right? First, regarding Cameo House, email London Breed's office. Mayor London Breed at sfgov.org. Mayor London Breed, all one word, at sfgov.org. You can also call her office at 415-554-6141. All you have to do and say is you know about Cameo House, you care about Cameo House, you want Cameo House to stay in existence and be this beautiful program for uh, women and their children. And does the, the office know about this? And is there anything that they can do to ensure that this program continues to exist because they are under attack by being defunded? Next, as always, call Governor Newsom, 916 916- Four four five two eight four one. Demand that he release our elders. Continually allowing people to be denied parole um, and denied release because they are when they are elders is an an abuse of power. It is a violation of human and civil rights, and it's a continued crime against humanity. All right. Lastly. Charlie Hinton, who has been a um, staunch advocate for the uh, for Dwayne Ewing and um, his case of innocence, we need you to continually email and call because on January thirteenth, Dwayne's uh, attorney Jeffrey Mendelman filed a motion to allow Dwayne to withdraw his plea deal, and O'Malley's office has about ninety days to respond. That's around April 13th. So continue to call, um, to email first, nancy.omalley at acgov.org. Also call the office, 510-272-6222. What you will say is allow Dwayne Ewing to withdraw his plea deal, retest any DNA evidence that still exists, and stop stonewalling Dwayne's efforts to challenge a flawed conviction. 
her office is out of line. They are denying this man his freedom for a crime that he didn't commit. This is egregious, an, an egregious abuse of power. For more information, go to bit.ly slash capital F R E E capital D E capital W A Y N E. Each of these actions shows that you care about people, that you care about justice, real justice. All of these actions say that you stand in solidarity for human rights, for people, and shared humanity. Do it, people. It's good for your soul. It's good for your spirit. And it is definitely good for your mind. Have a beautiful week. Thank you for being with me. And we will see you soon. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer. Ah, just got some breaking news here that I want to share with you. Brendan Woods of the Alameda County Public Defender's Office has filed a motion for O'Malley's office to recuse itself from a case they are defending because of a, quote, a troubling and extensive pattern of misconduct among some prosecutors, which the district attorney of Alameda County has failed to seriously address. Imagine that. So stay tuned. Love y'all.